Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 33. Ezekiel, chapter 33. The title of our sermon this afternoon is Silence is Violence. Let's pray. Lord God, once again, we come before Thee, where we thank Thee for the reading of Thy Word, the prayers and supplications of Thy saints. Thank Thee for the singing of praises unto Thee. May they be life-giving to our soul, O Lord a means of grace unto us to increase in our faith in Thee, our Savior, Jesus Christ. But, O God, I now come before Thee as a weak messenger and ask for Thy aid, Thy help, that Thou wouldst succor me by Thy Holy Spirit to preach Thy Word faithfully, to uplift Christ, His Word, and His truth accurately, vividly, to exult and worship as I preach, O God. Give Thou me the gift of prophecy, O Lord. Lord, even more so, apply it to these Thy sheep, Thy word, may it burn in our hearts, O God. May we see Thee, our Savior Jesus, high and lifted up. The power of the Holy Spirit evident in our lives. God, give us boldness for the truth. Please, O Lord, grant us a greater vision of Jesus Christ, thy Son. Triune God, we bow before thee now. We ask for thy aid. We ask for thy help to be trained in the scriptures unto practical godliness and usefulness for thy kingdom in this world. Help us to take up the banner of Christ Jesus and place it upon every hill in this world so that Christ might through us say mine, mine, mine over all of creation. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 33. Dear congregation, a common cry that we are hearing every day from those who are seeking the physical, spiritual, economical, and political destruction of our nation is silence is violence. Silence is violence, they say. For the past few years, up until this point, the demand was that those with opposing views, whether they're Christian or not, but especially Christians should remain silent. Remain silent. Keep your thoughts to yourself. Since to even voice our views in words would be to do actual violence to human beings. But now, if you do not agree, Christian or not, you may not remain silent. You must chant and repeat the words that you are told. Their words, the words that we are being told to chant and that they are chanting, are representative of their ideology and their theology. And their ideology and their theology is not benign, but dangerous. Countless, countless millions of lives have been slaughtered as a direct result of what they are saying. 
millions, countless millions. What I am saying is not about mere politics today, for politics' sake. No. This is about our Christian life as we know it in this nation. Those who have lived longer than me in this room know that as a fact. That the Christian church has never been where it is right now. That the state of Christianity and our ability to be Christian in this nation is truly being threatened right now in a way that it never has been. Why do I say that? Because the things that we are hearing from Marxist politicians, secular radical leftists, rioters and domestic terrorist organizations like Antifa and Black Lives Matter are being echoed in astounding mass by the evangelical church in America. Astounding mass. I mean, a quick browse. Here, you want proof? A quick browse through the Gospel Coalition website, which now serves as a Trojan horse for destruction, death, and heresy. Just a quick browse will tell you everything you need to know about the current state of American evangelicalism and, in fact, American evangelical Calvinism. That's all the proof you need. Yet, there's more. Even in our very backyard, local churches are urging, they are actually urging their members to divide up into white Christian and black Christian. They're addressing their white members. They're addressing their black members. They are urging the white Christians to seek racial reconciliation with their black members. For their people to go out and march in these wicked protests that are destroying our nation. In fact, many evangelical leaders in our town who teach at seminaries here, Phoenix Seminary, marching, shouting Black Lives Matter, a terrorist slogan. Telling their people to go out and march. And are even constantly reminding their white members that they are not only not permitted to disagree that there are perceived racial injustices before them, but even more so, they must also be vocal about it. They must be vocal about these perceived racial injustices. To not join in the protesting, to not participate in social media blackout days for whites, to not support the domestic terrorist organization Black Lives Matter, to not convince other white Christians, friends, and family, is to do actual violence, Christians are saying to other Christians. It's to do actual violence against our black neighbor. To be silent about racial injustice, they say, is to be violent towards oppressed races. I never thought it would come to that. Can't say that I'm surprised, but I am shocked. On a popular evangelical website, one author wrote this, quote, as people, as people of faith, our silence is violence. Solidarity for this movement, Black Lives Matter, can look many ways, but it should begin with us unashamedly telling the truth about how our current system of laws and policing are not only killing black people at alarming and unjustifiably disproportionate rates, they are perpetuating a lethal injustice that is very simply not of God. End quote. So now, the test of orthodoxy. In many previously conservative, Bible-believing churches is whether or not one holds and loudly adheres to these Marxist doctrines. I have long warned against the modern evangelical church in America. You are my witnesses. This is why. 
This is why. This is where entertainment leads to. This is where relevance leads to. They abandoned the gospel of Jesus Christ a long time ago for entertainment and cultural relevance. This Marxist theology before us that is replacing the gospel is simply a new form of cultural relevance and entertainment. Simple as that. Gospel has never been central for them. But dear congregation, nothing, nothing can bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing can reconcile man to God nor man to fellow man in one people, into one people, except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing can bring a nation to its knees in humble, joyous obedience to God except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one true and living God who, as Revelation 6-2 says, goes forth conquering and to conquer. And when he is accomplished, his violent assault on this earth through the proclamation of the gospel, he will gather his people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people unto himself. And he shall be their God, and they shall be his people. Everything else, everything else is a farce, a fraud, and a false Christ that is anathema. I don't care what celebrity pastor comes out sympathetic to it. Whether an angel from heaven were to descend in this room and preach it, we would anathematize him. The churches who are preaching this false gospel think that seeking justice for the oppressed is more central than seeking salvation for the lost. Again, this is not, I'm finding somewhere deep in the web some article. This is right in our face, right around here where we live right now. Everywhere, every church, seemingly. There are a few faithful standing. Everyone feels like they have to capitulate, and then they are. This is not some far-off, distant thing. It's here among us. And the churches that are preaching this false gospel actually think that justice for the oppressed is more central than seeking the salvation of lost souls. Jesus Christ, hear me now, did not come into the world to undo political corruption. He didn't. He didn't come into the world to bring world peace, nor to seek justice for the oppressed, nor to set man against man because the color of their skin. Rather, Jesus Christ, according to 1 Timothy 1.15, came into the world to save sinners. That's why. This is not to diminish the injustices in this world. As Christians who serve God, we should uphold his law. And we should speak out against sin. In fact, there is systemic racism in this country that has oppressed people of color and our nation for centuries. It's true. Such as the urban plantations, Planned Parenthood, and the welfare system. And we should speak out against it. There is a problem with police structure in our country that leads to the abuse of power and brutality towards all people of all colors in this country. And we should speak out against it where it exists. No question about it. But, dear church, whether it's us or those capitulating to this Marxist theology, it cannot be central to the message of Christian proclamation. It cannot be. Good works flow from a regenerated heart. We know that, especially as Calvinists. So here's the solution. Bring a nation to Christ, and you will see its injustices diminish. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ must be powerfully proclaimed more now than ever. If we have any desire to see the works of the devil undone, 
or true justice against wicked, wicked acts in this country, then we must be bold and loud for the gospel. We must also point out Satan's wiles and his devices. We must preach against false doctrine. We must oppose false teachers. This all must go hand in hand. We can't piecemeal Christianity, our Christian life, into different pieces, some of which don't touch. No. Christ's lordship, God's sovereignty over the Christian life goes into every sphere of human existence. Every sphere. The famous German pastor, theologian, and martyr under the Third Reich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was arrested and put to death for his role in an assassination attempt of Hitler, once said this, quote, Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. End quote. That's a great quote. Great quote. And I have seen many evangelicals parroting those words. And a in an attempt to exhort white Christians, white Christians, to accept the false gospel of critical race theory and social Marxism. But here's the problem with that. Bonhoeffer was speaking about putting an end to a movement which was responsible for silencing the evangelical church in Germany, shutting down thousands of churches and seminaries. And not only that, but killing millions upon millions of Europeans in an attempt to conquer the world. That's what he was speaking out against. That's where he was saying, I can sit back and debate the morality of killing Hitler, or I can kill Hitler and stop this thing. Not to act is to act. That's what he meant. He, he wasn't speaking about the need for white Christians to abandon the gospel and to destroy America. That's not what he was talking about. Wrong use of that quote. All that to say this. In fact, as we think about it, the Bible tells us that these social Marxist preachers, they're actually right. They are right. Silence is violence. To be silent for the gospel is to be complicit in the eternal death of those around you. To be silent against the false doctrines engulfing American churches is to be complicit in those false doctrines. To not sound the alarm is to be complicit in the overthrow of the city. That's why I'm preaching on this. I've wrestled all last week, all this week. I would like to just continue plowing through Mark. But when do you speak? When do you sound the alarm? If not now, when? Paul tells Titus this in Titus 3.10. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Get rid of him. The time for silence has never existed for Christians. Ever. You've never been a time where it's okay to be silent. Especially now. We are always to expose, rebuke, and anathematize false doctrines and false teachers, whether they come in the form of compromise on key doctrines or in the wool of political activism for the benefit of the oppressed. Either way, the gospel is at stake. And either way, we must be bold for the gospel. I ask you, dear congregation, where are the watchmen on the walls? Where are the faithful shepherds? Where are the bold defenders of orthodoxy? Where are the blessed preachers of the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ? Where are they? Dear congregation, shall we stand idly by and allow our Savior to be so maligned? Shall we bury our heads in the sand while the visible church is burned to the ground? Are we to absorb ourselves in niceties and hobbies until it is too late? Or shall we be like the great prophet of old Isaiah 
who upon hearing the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Responded, here am I, send me. Indeed, I intend on being alarmist to a degree. For an alarm must be sounded. The walls have been taken. The enemy is in our midst. Therefore, the Bible says, quit yourselves like men. Behave like strong warriors. Stand bold for the gospel. Fight. Oppose false doctrine and false teachers. Waver nothing from the truth as it is in Jesus. Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 11. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchmen, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the, sound, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it. If he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Three points. Number one, the watchman called or appointed. The watchman's duty, number two. And the watchman's heart, number three. First, the watchman called. And we see this in the first three verses. So the background, at this point in Ezekiel's prophecy, Jerusalem was now overthrown. They've been overthrown, had been overtaken by the enemy. In chapter 3, Ezekiel was established as a watchman to sound the alarm, to tell these exact words to them, repent, come back to the Lord, receive his grace and his mercy and salvation, or he will overtake you in your sins through this army. <clears throat> so the, the watchman had been there and had sounded the alarm. He gave the warning, but it was ignored. And now at this point in Ezekiel, Jerusalem is overtaken. They are in the walls. They've come through the walls and are in the city. Previously, the warning was, destruction is coming, take heed, prepare yourselves, O Israel. Now the watchman is to, is to declare how their soul is to be delivered with the destruction that is upon them. Notice a few things. It says here in the first verse, we notice, that Ezekiel was called to proclaim the word of the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me. It's not a human message. It's not a human opinion. It's not a human system. Rather, it's a divine message. Divine authority. And then must therefore have divine urgency. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul talks about being an ambassador, the kind of urgency, the kind of authority that comes with that. 
1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's what a divine messenger sent by God looks like. Notice also that he was divinely appointed man unto men. He was a divinely appointed man unto men. That's in verse 2. It says, son of man, speak to the children of thy people. He is a man. He's a human. But he is to speak to his people. And God has been pleased throughout history to use familiar means. Men, people, speaking with other people, other humans, and pleading with them, and preaching the gospel to them, and bringing forth God's truth to them. That's the whole point of preaching, as a pastor, a teacher, but also of all of us when we go out. God has appointed that means. He could, of course, just reveal himself, could he not? Of his own doing. However, he has chosen in his grace and his mercy and his love to condescend to us and speak to us through men. The sword was upon the land. It says the sword was upon the land when he was appointed to be a watchman, a preacher. So especially in times of crisis, like our time now, Gospel preachers are most necessary. It's not the time to back down. It's not the time to walk away. It's not the time to be quiet for the gospel. It's the time to be loud. It's God's ordained time to preach. Notice also that he is taken from the coasts, from among the people to warn the people. He is called by God and by men. So they had actually appointed this watchman. They said, stand upon the walls and watch for us. Keep watch. Warn us when danger comes. And that is what we as pastors are to do. We are watchmen on the walls to warn you of danger. And we have been appointed not only by God, but by you. You chose me to be your pastor. So if his message, the watchman's message, does not please them, they only have themselves and God to blame. They have have set him for their watchman. Notice also, the watchman's purpose is to discern danger, to see the sword, and to blow the trumpet and warn the people. We see Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, Verses 1 through 5, this. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant or ready, prepared, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. That's the call for a pastor. To stand strong in doctrine. To be a watch. A watchman on the walls. Watching over the landscape. I don't expect you to read all of the articles I read, the books I have to read, the videos I have to watch, and to keep up with every trend going on in evangelicalism in America right now. I don't think you should. I, part of my work is doing that, is always having some podcast going, always having some article I'm reading and book I'm reading about the current state of affairs, so that way I can warn you. You are to go about your life as Christians making use of the means of grace, being built up and doing the work of the ministry that God has given you. Not to be worried about every single threat that is coming, for it is truly overwhelming. That's my job. That's my job. And as a watchman, I keep watch. That is the duty 
of the watchman, the prophet Ezekiel. Second, let's look more at his duty, the watchman's duty. So we looked at his calling, that it's from God and man. Now we're going to look specifically at his duty, verses 4 through 9. First, both the watchmen and the hearers have a duty, do they not? Verses 4 and 5 tell us this, that the watchman must declare the coming danger. When the watchman is faithful in his duty, the people hear his warning proclamation that danger is coming, destruction is on the horizon, sin will swallow them whole if they be not saved. But it says that if the hearer, the one hearing that message, that proclamation, taketh not warning, then his blood shall be upon his own head. Truly, the watchman proclaimed, and the hearer heard the sound of the trumpet, but he took not warning. So both have a duty. It is though the watchman had declared, Take heed, my people. Sin is upon you. The destruction of the Lord is coming to swallow you whole for your sins. The enemy is at the gates. Wolves are at the sheepfold. Their desire is for the sheep. This present life is fleeting, and you will soon have to give an account of your sins. The Lord will not stay his hand of judgment much longer. Repent of your sins. Turn unto the Lord. Receive grace and reconciliation. Resist the devil. That was the watchman's call. Yet the people responded, Stop being an alarmist. Stop being so dramatic. We have much time to repent. If we even need to, there's plenty of time. Sin is not such a danger to us. A few heretics and a few heresies among us shall do us no harm. It's really not that big of a deal. Watchmen, shall the Lord destroy us for just a few false teachers? He has not abandoned us thus far. Thus far, Why should he now? A little leaven does not leaven the whole lump. Life shall continue as it always has. Plus, we always have our deathbeds upon which to come to God. How many people have you heard that from? So many people have I heard that from. I'll get around to coming to Jesus later. Yeah, I, you know, I, I understand the gospel, I understand everything, and you know, I'm, I'm really interested just later in life, once I've kind of done my life. Thou fool, your life is required of thee this night. So for this reason, their blood shall be upon themselves. They rejected what the watchman said. The sinners who reject the gospel shall die in their sins. That's just fact. That's what the scriptures tell us. But the pastors and the lay Christians who hold their peace... And remain silent in the face of false teachers and false doctrine shall be held responsible for the church's overthrow. I promise you that. I have said it before and I'll say it again. I hold personally the American evangelical church responsible for where we are right now. It's their fault. Both past and present. It's their fault that things are the way they are in this nation, spiritually and secularly. Had they not abandoned the gospel and withdrawn from society, had they not capitulated to culture and tolerated false teachers, then the new atheism, secular humanism, and Marxist anarchists marching in the streets would likely have no power. They'd have no steam. They wouldn't be doing much. The church's voice fell silent, and their voice took its place. But, in verse 6 we see, that if the watchman fails to sound the alarm, then the blood of the people shall be upon him. Shall be upon him. He shall be held responsible for their destruction. For he was silent. When he should have proclaimed. His silence. Led to violence. We can be assured. As verse 6 says. If the watchmen see the sword come. And blow not the trumpet. And the people be not warned. Then the judgment of God against their sin. Shall surely come upon them. And take them. The sinner will be taken. Away in his iniquity. In his iniquity. No one's going to be judged. For the sins of someone else. No. If we don't warn as pastors and as lay Christians, others about the coming wrath against their sin and 
point them to the Savior, then they're still going to die for their sins, not yours. But you will also be punished for your sins of not informing them, of not telling them the way of truth. They will die because they have sinned against the Lord. But still, the watchmen shall be held responsible for their blood. Their blood will be required by the Lord at the watchman's hand, it says. He failed to proclaim the danger of their sin to the people. And they shall die in their own sins. But his duty was to warn them, and yet he forsook his duty. Therefore, he shall be held to account for it. No one shall be blamed for the watchman's sin, but the watchman. Next, in verses 7 through 10, we see the watchman himself implored by the Lord. Verse 7, he says, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee as a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. God here addresses the watchman directly with imploring and beseeching language. Remember your calling, watchman. Thou hast been called and equipped by me. I have given thee my word that thou shouldest give it to the people. Paul implored Timothy in a similar way. In 1 Timothy 4, 12-16, he says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands by the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself. And unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Do not remain silent, O watchman. Do not remain silent, Timothy. Do not compromise. Do not forget thy calling. These are the words by which the Lord implores the watchman. In this context, obviously, the prophet Ezekiel and the other prophets are the watchmen who watch the walls. In the church, pastors in particular are the watchmen. But also, every Christian is a watchman. To all of us, God says, Go ye, O sons of men. I have set you as watchmen to all the earth. Ye are my witnesses in this present evil age. Ye are my ambassadors to the lost. Ye are the messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to men of all nations and all colors. God, dear congregation, will hold none of you guiltless for neglecting your calling to preach the gospel to every creature. None of you shall be held guiltless for remaining silent in the face of false doctrine. I will have a greater measure to answer for, but none of us will get out of it guiltless. This does not mean that when you talk to people of this present age who hold to current errors, whether they claim to be Christian or not, that you say, here are five reasons why such ideology, such theology is wrong due to morality and conservatism. conservatism. Rather, we must say, here is why such thinking and teaching is wicked and sinful in light of God's authority, God's glory, God's honor, and the gospel of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who died for sinners to reconcile them back to God. Winning people to morality is not the goal. We have to keep this in mind in this very strange time in which we live. Winning people to morality is not the goal. This is the error of mere conservatism. Winning souls to Christ is the goal and must be our aim at all times because that is God's aim. True, if we were to win this culture to conservative values, we have won the battle. 
We have made a safer society. We have upheld God's law. But we have lost the war. This was part of the error of the previous generation of Christians. Previous few generations. They labored to create moral worldlings. Who soon forsook the way of God. Why? Because they were unregenerate. They were not Christian. We must labor to see Christ formed in people's hearts. If they're regenerate, they will love God's law. That's the solution. So God will require the blood of the unsaved at our hands if we neglect to warn them of their danger and fail to place Christ before them. He will hold us accountable. If we are faithful to God's calling, we shall be the means of deliverance from sin and hell for many. God tells the watchman that if he remains faithful in his calling, in verse 9 he says, Thou hast delivered thy soul. And as we saw Paul tell Timothy, that if he were to remain steadfast in God's truth and his ministry to sinners, thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. So much is at stake, dear Christian. Third point, last point. The watchman's heart, as revealed in verses 10 and 11. First we see that the watchman's heart is to be the same as the Lord's heart. Dear Christian, we must love the unsaved. We must love the unsaved. And we must long for their salvation. By the supernatural work of God in and through us in the proclamation of the law and the gospel, many sinners will say, if our transgressions and our sins be upon us and we pine away in them, how shall we live? It's verse 10. We'll hear things like that. By God's sovereign grace, they will see the wickedness of their sins and they'll cry out, what must I do to be saved? We must be ready to give them the answer, which is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The answer that we should give them is not, believe in conservative values and uphold conservative policies and thou shalt be moral. We want salvation, not moralism. The only reason we as Christians agree with conservative values, many of them, is because they're in accordance with God's law. That's it. And we live in a very strange time. And the tendency and the temptation is there to work for mere conservatism. But we must work against that notion within us. We must work and labor for Christ and his gospel. Because it's one and the same battle. We want to see society redeemed? Make society Christian. Not moral. This is where we went wrong before. There must be an urgency about us, dear congregation. There must exist a fire in our bones and in our bosom for the gospel. Jesus Christ, dear congregation, is the only answer for the problems of any age, especially our own. God longs for the salvation of sinners. We should too. Now, when a Calvinist comes to a verse like verse 11, they usually lose their mind. And they have to qualify it to the point where it has no power anymore. Let's read verse 11. Because here we see the heartfelt pleadings and wooings of God through Ezekiel. He says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from our evil ways, from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? We want to kind of gloss over that. Get to the next verse. Keep going. Get to a Calvinist verse, please. One that doesn't make us feel uneasy. But that's to hold a tension in Scripture that doesn't exist. As Calvinists, we can confidently declare that God desires for all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 
We can and must remember Christ's own words. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her children, her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Matthew 23, 37. We can assertively echo Christ's plea to all sinners, come unto me and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. And we can, dear Christian, dear Calvinist Christian, dear Reformed Christian, we can without hesitation say that Jesus Christ the righteous is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2.2 2. Our heart towards sinners must be God's heart towards sinners in all of this. It's always to be that way. Especially in a time like this, we have to keep this in mind. When our heart, our desires, our thoughts are in alignment with God's, then we too shall take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And this will lead us to plead with sinners saying, Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die? Out of a heart filled with gratitude towards God for the salvation he has given, will overflow. Out of such a heart will overflow a strong desire for others to come to Christ. Therefore, we must not be silent because silence is going to be forced upon us very soon. If we choose to be silent now, that will be the only option we have. So therefore, we cannot be silent. But we must loudly proclaim the gospel from the rooftops. So I ask you, where is your heart, dear Christian? Is your heart for God's heart? Is your heart for the lost? We are ambassadors. But ambassadors for what? What is our message? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 what our message is. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, he says. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We have many other things to talk about as humans, but we have nothing else to talk about as Christians. That is our message. The gospel, which regenerates, transforms the heart of man, adding sinews and flesh and muscle and heart to the skeletal remains of mankind in sin. Dear congregation, in closing, I'd like to say this. I have attempted to labor among you as a faithful watchman over the years. I believe that I have done that to a reasonable degree. Now, I will continue to be a watchman. I am sounding the alarm. Whether we choose to listen or not is the question. I am sounding the alarm. The enemy, dear congregation, was at our gates. Was. Now he is in the city. We must drive him out. If you remain silent for Christ and his gospel, if you turn a blind eye to the devastating effects of false doctrine among us, if you allow our society, our society to be overtaken by Satan through neglect of gospel preaching, God will not hold you guiltless. That's the warning. That's the trumpet blast. And I know. I know your faith. I know all of you. I know your faith. I know your love for Christ. I worry not about that. I know your longing for the gospel to go out into all the world. I know your desire for Satan to be conquered and his work undone. I know your hatred of false doctrine. So continue in this. Continue in this. Remain steadfast. Continue to lift your voice among your friends, your family, your neighbors, and your co-workers. You will be persecuted for that. You will be. Make no mistake about that. You might lose your job. But you will honor your God. You have a God. 
You have a God. You have a Savior. You have a Jesus who has redeemed you and purchased you with his own blood. You are his and not your own. What better to do than to render love and adoration to him through service and laying down of our life for him? Honor him regardless of the cost. Regardless of the cost. It might get ugly, but he is worth it. His beauty is worth it. We have a lover, capital L, of our soul. Honor thou him, dear Christian. As I said earlier, I will say it again, and with this we'll close. Where are the watchmen on the walls? Where are the faithful shepherds? Where are the bold defenders of orthodoxy? Where are the blessed preachers of the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ? Dear congregation, shall we stand idly by and allow our Savior to be so maligned? Shall we bury our heads in the sand while the visible church is burned to the ground? Are we to absorb ourselves in niceties and hobbies until it is too late? Or shall we be like that great prophet of old, Isaiah, who upon hearing the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Respond, here am I, send me. Indeed, we should sound the alarm. And I intend to continue to sound the alarm. The walls have been taken. The enemy is in our midst. Quit you like men. Fight. Stand bold for the gospel. Oppose false doctrine and false teachers. Waver nothing from the truth as it is in Jesus. Give your life for him who as God and man gave his life for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this opportunity to preach thy word. Apply it to our hearts with comfort, conviction, motivation, exhortation. We thank thee, Holy Spirit, for thy help. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.